Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Turn the Page. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah, got an extra hour of sleep. I, I'm sorry about that, Ian. You losing an hour. My house, I got an extra hour. It was all good in my house. I, I, in fact, my, I, think my, I think my top three favorite Sundays of the year are one, I love, of course, you got to love Easter Sunday. I love the Sunday before Christmas, and I love Time Change Sunday. <laughs> okay? I'm just, I don't know. It's just, a, I love the energy of it. Sorry. All right, here's where we're going to jump in, okay? Um, This book right here, this is where we left off. This book right here is a collection of books that I find that most people are very curious about because, after all, we make the claim, and I believe this, that inside here are the actual words of God. And so we're curious about that. But on the other hand, I also find that most people do not consistently read this book. Why is that? Why is that? I think part of it is we don't, we don't know where to start, and I think we, maybe we don't even know how to use it. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, I'd go to Sunday school, and we used to play this game in Sunday school. I don't know if anybody else here will have had this experience, okay? This is a little bit of an embarrassing confession. So they'd play this game in Sunday school where they'd ha- tell you to bring your Bibles. You bring your Bible like this, okay? And you put it over your head like this. Anybody with me yet? Any, oh, nobody? Only me. Oh, we got, okay, there's a couple of a couple other... Sunday school nerds, here we go. <laughs> they put it over your head and they would say, okay, and they'd name a Bible verse, John 14, 12. John 14, 12. And you have to pull it down like this. You have to try to find the verse. John, John, John. I'm two. Then you get to 14 and 12. And then you have to read it. And whoever reads it first wins the game. And of course, I was super competitive, so I got pretty good at this, right? And um, we had, you know, occasionally, then it got a little harder, though, because they'd start saying Second Chronicles or, or Zechariah. Or we had, we had one, one teacher who'd say, okay, now find Hezekiah, Hezekiah 3.15, Hezekiah 3.15. 15 minutes later, nobody finds it. Why? Right, because there is no Hezekiah, right? Okay, very, very funny, right? I'm not sure that's exactly how the Bible's supposed to be used, right? So how is the Bible supposed to be used? There was some extensive research done on this. And, um, I mean, some big dollars were spent on this. And what they discovered was this, and I hope this sticks with you. Regardless of where a person is spiritually, regardless of where they are, if you may be brand new in your spiritual journey, or you might be this KG veteran, you might be someone who's like, you're taking the very, maybe you're the very first steps kind of on your way back to God, or you're in your second or third decade of, of following Jesus. Across the board, no matter where you are, the number one way for you to grow spiritually was by reflecting on Scripture. No difference whether you're brand new or you've been around a long time. The number one way that will catalyze and help you grow closer to God was by reflecting on Scripture. And that's part of the reason, okay, why we're in this 11-week journey called Turn the Page. What we want to do is we want to help you better understand the Bible, how to use it, and then for you to actually be able to go like, you know what, okay, on a regular basis, everyday basis, I can kind of dig in here and I can reflect on Scripture. Now, if you haven't yet, in addition to what we're giving you on Sundays, I'm telling you, if you have not yet taken advantage of what we're calling the Turn the Page Bible Experience, I'm telling you, I cannot, I cannot beg you enough. Please engage with this. 
This is great, great stuff. I mean, I've been exposed to lots. This is going to be very, very helpful stuff. So you can either go to our app or go to our website. It comes in two different formats. You can get it in a podcast format or you can actually get it in an email that shows up in the inbox about 4 o'clock in the morning, every morning. So you can then, whenever you want throughout the day. But I'm telling you, if you have not yet taken advantage of that, you really, really need to take advantage of it. Because what this will do, okay, it'll take the Bible. It's not supposed to be just to help you find Zechariah and Second Chronicles. What it's designed to do is to help you, okay, know how to use the Bible, how to understand it, and to reflect on Scripture so you can grow spiritually. Are you with me? All right, good stuff. Now, this week, we're in a section of the Bible that includes the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we're looking at chapters 12 through 50, and it's a period called the Patriarchs. Say that after me, Patriarchs. Very good. And here's a quick overview of where we are. The Bible, 66 books written by 40 divinely inspired authors who tell one continuous story of God and his people. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis tell us the story of creation and God's dream that he would live in perfect community with human beings. However, it wasn't too long into that story that the relationship between God and his people was broken. Yet, God remains undeterred. As we turn the page to Genesis 12, God is determined to raise up a people who he will bless and who will be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 50 describes a period known as the patriarchs. The patriarchs are some of the most prominent figures in all of the Bible, and they include Abraham, who received a covenant promise from God that his family would be made into a great nation. Isaac, the long-awaited son of Abraham and Sarah whose birth became the first step in God fulfilling his promise. Jacob, the deceiver, who, despite his scheming ways, became the father God would use to rapidly move the story forward. God gave Jacob a new name, Israel, and he had 12 sons. Among them was Joseph, whose remarkable story fills up the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Jacob's descendants became known as the people of Israel and they were organized into 12 tribes that closely but don't exactly line up with Jacob's 12 sons. Over the next several centuries, this family grew into a great nation. The Israelites were blessed to be the people of God, but the path to those blessings was often fraught with twists and turns that tested their faithfulness every step of the way. All right, so as we turn the page... We pick up the story where, according to the lineage here, Isaac and Rebekah have just now had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Now, these twin boys, if we actually look, at, I mean, right at the very birth, you can tell these two, I mean, there's going to be trouble. I mean, look, look at how he describes, describes their birth. It says, first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. That's the first one. And after this, his brother came out with his hand, his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob. It was like from the very beginning, Jacob was like, no, 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 you're not going to get ahead of me. And that's kind of the way it was. It was a sibling rivalry between these two from that point forward. Now, Jacob is named by his parents Jacob. You know what Jacob means? Here's what Jacob means. Jacob means he deceives. I mean, what kind of a parent does that, right? I mean, at what point does dad go like, hey, honey, I think I got it. I think I got it. Let's call him little deceiver. 
right? I mean, how brutal is that? But I don't know what he did to deserve this, but he totally, he totally goes ahead and lives into this name. He lives up to it. For example, um, he deceives his brother Esau by actually stealing his inheritance, stealing his birthright, stealing the, the dollars and cents he was supposed to get by getting to trade it for a bowl of soup. Don't ask me how, but he did it. He pulled it off. Then on top of that, Jacob, along with his mother, okay, actually uh, betrays Isaac, the father. Now, Isaac, the father, is getting kind of old, starting to lose his eyesight, and he wants to give Esau the blessing by putting his hand on him and praying for him to give the blessing. But what Jacob does is he jumps in and he puts a piece of lamb's wool on his arm so that when he gets up next to his father, his father actually touches him, prays for him, and gives him the blessing. And so this stuff's going on all through, the, all through the, their, their, their growing up years. And then finally, at some point, Esau has just had it with him. He's, he's angry and he's furious. And he finally says, Jacob, I'm going to kill you. And he means it. And Jacob takes off running. Jacob takes off running and he flees and he's on the run for the next 20 years. He ends up living in this distant land with his uncle Laban. Now, we don't have a time to go into it, but if I went into that, his time with his uncle Laban, I mean, again, there's like more deception going on for the next 20 years, two decades of that between those two guys. And what we see here is we just see trouble has a, kind of this way of just finding Jacob. And he leaves behind, as he, as he leaves in the next 20 years, he leaves behind him just this whole kind of relational wreckage in his wake, just relational carnage everywhere he goes. But then after 20 years of living in a foreign land, we get to Genesis chapter 31. And in Genesis chapter 31, his life is about to change. And here's what God says to him. God says to him, Jacob, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to the land of your fathers and back to the land of your relatives. Now, this is, this is the command that came straight, came straight from God to return home. But there's one sticking point, and the sticking point's kind of a big one, because in order for him to go back to the land from which he came back to his homeland, he actually has to pass through a place called Edom. And Edom was a place that was actually the homeland uh, owned by, possessed by, guess who, anybody? Esau. Some of you know the story. Esau is exactly right. And so in order, he knows in order for him to actually go home, he's going to have to pass through Edom, which means at some point he's going to have come to come, to, come face to face with the person who wants to murder him. And, and, and Esau could get away with it. I mean, it's his, it's his territory, it's his country. There would be no consequence, there would be penalty of law. He could murder him and, and nothing would happen to him. There'd be no consequence. I mean, in some ways, for, for, for Jacob to kind of go into Edom, it, it would be like, let's say, let's, say you're play, let's say you're playing the Bears, right? You're playing the Chicago Bears. And you decide that you're just going to kind of wonder, you're the quarterback, you're just going to hang out there, you're just going to hang out here and eat him for like another 10 or 15 seconds and wait for Khalil Mack to hit you, Right? Are you with me on this? I don't know if that's a really great story, but I'll tell you what. I just so desperately wanted to put this picture of Khalil Mack with the football and Aaron Rodgers' face in the ground that I just found a way to wedge it in. You like that? I mean, it's not very often. Okay, the, you, know, you got that picture. You got the Bears in first place. So, so there you go. All right, enough of that. Uh, <laughs> so God knows, okay, God knows that for Jacob to head back home this is going to be a terrifying, terrifying journey. And so what God does, we'll, we'll move on from Cleo Mac. <laughs> it says, the Lord said to Jacob, you go back to the land, your fathers and your relatives. Read this out loud with me, okay? What's it say? And I will be with you. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll be with you. 
Now you would think in that moment, right? God himself is telling Jacob, hey, you can go on back. I know it's dangerous. I know what you're going to face, but I will be with you. You would think, okay, that's going to give him the confidence to go ahead and go forward. Reminds me of a news story I read just the last couple of weeks. Okay, we got one more bear story. One more, okay, one more. Um, Kyle Long. Um, and you guys, you know Kyle Long. Kyle Long's one of the linemen for the Bears. There's a nine-year-old kid, nine-year-old kid up in, uh, up in Huntley, Illinois. Little, little dude named Andrew. Every day he would get on the bus. Every day he'd get on the bus and he was getting bullied. I mean, he'd get on the bus, he was getting bullied. Next day he'd get on the bus, he was getting bullied. There was just a couple guys who were always just like pounding this kid. And, and, it, and it was really, I mean, obviously, it, I mean, it's unacceptable. And his dad was becoming very concerned about him. His dad decided to actually, on a flyer, reach out to Kyle Long and said, you know what, maybe if I just reach out to him through social media, maybe he'll give me a shout out and that'll be encouragement to my little guy, to Andrew. And so he sends him something through social media and Kyle Long, football player, uh, hoping for a word of encouragement, Kyle Long sends something back. He says, you tell Andrew, I'm going to ride the bus with him. And this is a picture. I love this picture. That's, that's, them, that's them afterwards, okay? I want you to just think about, imagine, imagine this little dude here, okay? Imagine Andrew, you know, getting on the bus up there in Huntley, Illinois, you know? And then all of a sudden after him, a six foot six, 315 pound Kyle Long, and he gets to say to the guy who's bullying him, hey, guys, I want you to meet my friend. Huh? I mean, all of a sudden when you get on the bus like that, all of a sudden you got a, a different level of confidence, right? And this is exactly, okay, this illustration actually works different than the last one. This is exactly what God was saying to Jacob. He's saying, listen, Jacob, you can go because I'm going to get on the bus with you. I'm going to be with you. So, how, so the question then is, how does Jacob now walk into this encounter? You would think with a renewed confidence, right? Again, not so much. Jacob shifts back to kind of his deceiving, conniving, striving out of his own effort kind of ways. Check out what he comes up with. You can read it on the screen here. Out of fear and distress, as he's headed to Edom, he comes up with this idea. I know what I'll do. I'm going to take my entire family, my entire possessions, all my cattle, all my livestock. I'm going to divide it in two. So then when, when Esau attacks, he'll only kill half of us. And the other half will go away. Free. That, that was his great faithful plan. Not exactly a plan that's kind of going like, okay, that's a guy who has a lot of confidence in God's word here. Well, while he's on the verge of doing this kind of faithless, desperate, fearful act, Jacob takes a break from his anxious striving, and he calls out to God in prayer. Now, here's one of the pause for a second, okay? I think this will be important. I think it's going to be important that we do this throughout this 11-week journey on Turn the Page, okay? Let me ask you, is there any part of Jacob's story that's like your story? Is there any place where you're listening to Jacob's story and kind of intersects with your own story? Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's kind of like, you know what? I know what it's like, like Jacob, to start out at a disadvantage. My, my, I mean, my parents didn't name me deceiver. But by their words and their actions, they didn't exactly paint a preferable, preferable future for me about what I could be and what I could do. Certainly nothing like what God says I am or what, or what God says I could be. Maybe some of you kind of relate to that. Or maybe some of you, you came from a home like Jacob. A home of lies and, and brokenness. 
where you got, I mean, you got a brother lying against a brother, and then you got a mother who comes alongside and, 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 and collaborates with the brother to deceive the father. And then you got the father who only give one blessing. Why only one blessing? Why can't you bless up both? What kind of a family? And maybe some of you are going like, you know, I know what it's like to be in that kind of family where it doesn't make sense. And I know what it's like to only be able to count on my own effort and what I do. Or maybe for some of you, you're Jacob's story and, and, and it's none of that. But maybe the part that does connect with you is that you really sense over the last few weeks or months that God's calling you to a new place. He's calling you somewhere. Maybe a new way of life, a new you. And you know from, for you to go from where you've been to where God's calling you to, it's gonna take risk, it's gonna take faith, and it's gonna take surrender. Because see, I think maybe Jacob's story is your story and my story. So Jacob prays this amazing prayer, affirming how faithful God's been in the past, recounting his promises to be with him, and also his promises to be with his family and future generations. And, and, and so, so, so he prays this prayer, and now you're going like, okay, now Jacob will be fully surrendered, right? Think again. And again, there's this back and forth. I mean, he barely finishes saying amen, and he has, has a new idea. I know what instead I'll do, and it says gift on the screen, but what he actually means, instead of a gift for Esau, he's really talking about a bribe. I'll bribe him. That's how, that's how I'll avoid this. I'm gonna, again, I'm going to take it in my own hands. I'll bribe him. And the point is here, get this, none of his efforts give Jacob any lasting peace. None of his efforts give Jacob what he wants. So finally in the middle, as he finally gets to Edom, he comes face to face with his brother Esau. And we find Jacob all alone, standing on the bank of the river in the middle of the night. And here in the middle of the night, he's overcome again with his fear, anxiety, and dread. And this is where something really, really unusual happens. I mean, unlike any place else in the Bible. Jacob's there standing alone and afraid, and he literally, the Bible says he starts to wrestle with a man, but this, this man is, is, is actually God. And they wrestle all through the night. They wrestle all through the night until, until this happens. It says, then the man said, which was God, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then the man who was God asked him, what is your name? As he's wrestling, what is your name? Now, I mean, God knows his name, right? And again, help me again. What, what, what is his name? What does the name Jacob actually mean? Jacob means what? Deceiver. That's exactly right. He knew it. Why does he want Jacob to say, I am Jacob? Because I think God knew that if he could get Jacob to say, no, this is who I have been. I have been a deceiver. I have been someone who's trying to work it on my own. I have been striving in my own effort to make my own life work out. If you get him to actually confess that. And look what he says. He does. He says, Jacob. What is your name? Jacob, he answers. And he basically saying, yes, that's exactly who I've been. And this is the moment. This is the moment when God blesses him with a brand new name. And you see this, you see this happen in other places in Scripture, too. And I think it's, it's so fascinating how God's so concerned about our identity, who we are. And so God blesses him with a new name. And he says this. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but your name will be Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. 
This name Israel. Not like, unlike Jacob, this name Israel. You know what it actually means? God fights. From now on, from this point on, because you've come clean, you realized who you've been. From this point on, your new identity is you are someone for whom God fights. God will fight for you. God will fight for you. Here's an interesting note, though. And I'd, I'd be curious what you think, what you make of this. Right before God lets Jacob go, God actually touches the socket of his hip, deep in his hip. And from that point on, if you're not familiar with the story, here's what happened. Actually, from that point on, Jacob walks with a limp. He walks with a limp. Why do you think it's significant that from that point on that Jacob would walk with a limp? I think, I think that limp, I think that limp is this constant reminder that he is no longer who he was, but now he's wrestled with man, he's wrestled with God, and from that point on he has a brand new identity that he has come clean, that he's done with his striving, he's done with his conniving. And through the wrestling, yes, there's been hurt and there's been pain, right? But now he's no longer Jacob, he is Israel, he's the patriarch, he's the one who'll have the 12 sons, represent the 12 sons of Israel, the one through whom God would bless the entire world. And every time, he walked with that limp. It was a reminder of that moment of change. As I was reading uh, through Jacob's story last week and then uh, the week before, I have to be honest, there's a part of me that's just a little surprised at how slow he is to kind of figure this all out. I mean, why is it that, I mean, time after time after time, he kind of continues to deceive and he continues to strive, tries to do things in his own effort? It seems obvious when you read the Bible. But I have a hunch that if, uh, if Jacob was to read my story or hear my story, I think he might, uh, he might say the same thing. <laughs> Why is it with that Dave guy? It's like God just keeps blessing him in so many different ways. Why does he continue to doubt? Why does he continually kind of go to places of faithlessness? And I got a hunch that if Jacob was to read your story or hear your story, it might be the same thing. That so many, so many times we fall back into, don't we, patterns that started early on and we strive, okay, to get things out of life in our own effort. We strive, right? Think about this. We strive for relationships to get what we want from people and sometimes we even deceive. We strive with our finances rather than surrendering to God and doing what God says to do because we strive because I don't think I'm going to be able to pull it off. I don't think I have enough. We strive to maintain a certain image because we want to be seen a certain way rather than just kind of relaxing in, in God's love and knowing who we are. Or we, we strive to achieve and we fill our calendars with all kinds of busyness rather than kind of surrender and enjoy God's grace. And in all that striving, for many of us, just like, just like Jacob, we look over our shoulders and there's all kinds of relational wreckage we've left in the wake of our lives. A lot of times because, because of our own striving, trying to do it our way. So let me ask you this morning. I think this is really important. What are you, what are you striving for? What are you anxious about? What's that thing that you're trying to do in your own effort? What is it? What's that thing that woke you up last night? And now you can't get out of your head. And you're trying hard to do it all in your own power. 
And I'm not saying that we should just completely be completely passive. No, I think God wants to work in us and through us. But all I'm talking about, I'm talking about you coming face to face with God and being honest about how we strive for our own agendas and how we work so hard to do life in our own power. And oftentimes we do. We leave all kinds of wreckage behind. And then at some point, it's so un- we have to go back and try to untangle it later on in life. And I would love, I would love, I would love for this morning to be a morning where you come face to face right now with God and you have to make a choice. Am I going to continue to kind of white knuckle it? Or am I going to surrender to him? I'll tell you what, do, uh, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's do something here. I think this would be good. Put, put your hands out. One like this is a fist. Like you're white knuckling it. And the other one's like open-handed. Like it's a surrender. Yeah, just like that. See, I, th- I, think, I think most of us, and I'll go first. I think I am like Jacob. I, I do this all the time. Man, I mean like, I'm here in the first service, I'm surrendering to God, and I mean it. But then, like, somewhere on, like, Wednesday, it's like I'm white-knuckling it again. You know what I'm talking about? Trying to do it in my own power. I would love for us, and I would love for me, all of us, to go like, no, you know what? I just want to do this. Because when we do this, it's anxiety-filled. And we're really not just deceiving others, we're deceiving ourselves. Go ahead and squeeze that as hard as you can. Squeeze as hard as you can so, the, so your nails actually go in there. See, see the, harder, the harder we try, the more it hurts. But this here, this here, think about this. Now think about the immensity of God's power and the immensity of God's love. I mean, we're not even through Genesis yet. And talk about power, we've already seen the power of his creation. We've already seen the power of his blessing, right? His love in that way. And the promise that he gave to Jacob is the promise he gave to God's people, the promise he gave through Hebrews, and it's a promise he gave to you. And here's what it says. He says, I promise I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll fight for you. I think this is the choice that we have to make. What if we did this? What if we did this? Let's finish the story our story. So Jacob sees Esau for the first time in 20 years. And as he's he's approaching him, as Jacob's approaching him, I I kind of imagine him kind of like this, right? Kind of like this. And he sees him from a distance and Esau finally catches his eye. And Esau, it says, actually runs. He runs, starts running to Jacob. What's going through Jacob's head right now? What do you think is going to happen? I don't know, right? So what's Jacob doing? Is it going to be... And in that moment... Esau comes up to him and it's, and, it's, and it's so reminiscent of the story of the prodigal son that Esau runs up and he grabs him and embraces him and I can still see I can kind of see Jacob kind of like oh what do I do right and he's embracing him and kisses him he opens up because he realizes that the, that the God who promised I will fight for you I will be with you that God always always, always delivers on his promises. And the same thing is true for you today. I'm telling you, the more you allow yourself to get caught up in the striving of your own power, the more anxiety, the more relational wreckage, the more sleepless nights. But when we surrender, we surrender to a God who fights for us. I'm telling you, he wants to bring you peace. He wants to bring you a power that comes through his spirit. He wants to bring you love. And he said, just like he said in the old time, he wants to bring you blessing. 
I'm telling you, surrender. He wants to fight for you. He wants to be with you. He's our God. We are his people. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. And we can trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that this story, this story, this, this, this remarkable story from the Old Testament of this character, Jacob, who's kind of this paradox of limping through life. On the one hand, clenched fist, but the other hand, also open. A paradox, almost. A back and forth. Father, it's so much like, so much like, like us. Lord, I ask that today, though, be that day that we wrestle with you, that day when we come with away with a brand new, brand new identity, that, that we are the people that you fight for, that, you, that we are the people that we know you're with us and that we come fully, fully, wholly surrendered. Lord, I know across this room there are people who there's all kinds of things going on in their lives. There's relational things, there's financial things, there's emotional things that we are trying to work out in our own effort. Lord, I ask that this be a moment of complete, complete surrender to you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.